Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, starting to read at verse 42. (coughs) They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. So today we are continuing our series on the church as both a place and a people. So far, we've seen church as people who are designed for worship, who are encouraged to be disciples, who are passionate about prayer, who are filled with the Spirit, and who are part of the family of God. And this week, we're going to look at church as people who share the good news. We've been referring to a poem uh, that uh, I found many years ago uh, about church. And the verse for today says this, I dream of an evangelizing church where new people are seen at every service, where people expect to see friends one for Christ, where every month people come to know the Lord Jesus, where evangelists are regularly visiting the district, where young people are reaching out to their friends, where new Christians are encouraged to exploit their old network of friends where small groups are used for evangelism. I've said a couple of times that wouldn't necessarily um, use the same language now, and exploit is one of those words that has, over the 40-odd years in between, taken uh, a much more negative uh, connotation. But what it means is that quite often what happened was that when you you came to faith and you came into church, you were sucked into church and and kind of lost your old friends. And and, and what this is saying, no, don't do that. In fact, let's do the opposite. Let's Let's get into your old friends and tell them about the difference this has made to you. But it seems to me that that there's a dynamic in all of that, uh, that many congregations in the West, at least, are, are missing. Sometimes people refer back uh, to the days of the early church and say, oh, we need to get back to that. We need to go back to the early church. Oh, look at all the stuff that happened there. Oh, great. The problem is we don't actually know what it looked like. We've got a few books, we've got some reading, we've got some history, but but actually, and, and then even more than that, the early church had loads of problems. That's why we've got a New Testament. All these letters written to them saying, actually, you're getting this wrong. You, you know, it, there was loads of stuff about them. There was false teaching and wrong living, and they had to be corrected. Is that what we want to get back to? Well, of course it's not. What folk mean is, look at the, the explosive growth of the early church. We want to get back to that. We want to see that, that dynamic again. Sometimes people um, look back and they do, Oh, I remember the days when it took us eight double-deckers to go the Sunday school trip. And let's get back to that. And you think, yeah, that would be great. And I'm sure they were good days. But, but, but what we forget when we're saying things like that is that Society has changed. 
Standards have changed. Expectations have changed. In fact, everything has changed. And the church no longer holds that place in society that it once did. We cannot go back to that. Let's face it, we can't even go back two and a half years. Because COVID has changed everything. And even those congregations that we might look to, independent congregations that seem to be doing really well, when you ask, what you find is that in common with everywhere else, there are people who are not returning. And across Scotland and across the West for church, there are people who for generations had been in the habit of turning up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for whom that habit is broken and they are not coming back. And so things that had been running in congregations are not running because there's no volunteers. We cannot go back. We can only go forward from where we are. As the early church grew, what you find is that believers who were who were coming forward, they were new to church and the idea of church, but they were not new to worship. Most of them, whether Jewish or Gentile, understood the idea of worship. Sometimes for that, it involved sacrificing animals, or sometimes it involved prostitution, or sometimes it involved hurting yourself. But, but people believed, they understood that there was something or someone that should be worshipped. And in doing that, it would bring prosperity or health or children or whatever. And where there were people who worshipped, there were people who made money. Because you had to buy your sacrifices, you had to buy your prostitute, you had to buy whatever it was. And that's why in Mark 11 we, we have the story of Jesus clearing the temple of moneylenders. Because they were stopping people coming into God's house. And then Paul literally caused a riot in Ephesus when he spoke against the, the silversmiths who were making images of Artemis. But all of that made it difficult for these new believers. They often took the patterns of behavior from what they, they knew and had done before. And they simply substituted Jesus for what they had worshipped before. And that meant they had to learn what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. But in our reading today, it wasn't like that. The, the first believers in Jerusalem were Jews. And they were used to going to the temple for worship. So they continued to be Jews who went to the temple for worship. Only now, they were worshipping Jesus. And for them, it was the most natural thing in the world. And their worship was evangelism in its own right. Of course, they told people about Jesus. And you have the story, for example, of uh, Peter and John going to the temple and there's the beggar. And Peter um, says, I don't have any money to give you, but I'll tell you what. I'll give you something even better. Stand up and in the name of Jesus, you're going to be healed. And everybody knew about that. Everybody knew. Because of the change in this guy. And there were... There were arguments and discussions and debates. What are we going to do with these people? How do we shut them up? How do we stop them speaking about Jesus? Of course, the answer was you couldn't. <laughs> but their worship, their lifestyle drew people 
to Jesus. Like the next and subsequent generations of Christians, we have learned a certain way of, of doing church. We've developed a style of worship that we're fairly happy with. And I'm speaking about, you know, in the West generally. There are, of course, debates about musical styles, about the Bible version you should use, robes or jeans, and Pentecostal, we free, blah, blah, blah. But all of those things are man-made. It's all debates that people have had over the, the, the years. And the truth is, much of it puts people off. If we can't love each other, what's the point of anybody coming along to be involved? So we turn people away from church, not necessarily faith, not necessarily God, but it's easy to turn them away from church. To try and uh, counter the decline in numbers, the General Assembly instructed that the presbyteries uh, in planning uh, for, for all the changes that are coming would use the five marks of mission as the foundation for planning. These five marks of mission, I'm sure um, you'll, you'll know them off by heart. If not, now you will soon. They are to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. To teach, baptize, and nurture new believers. To respond to human needs by loving service. To seek to transform unjust structures of society. To challenge violence of every kind. And to pursue peace and reconciliation. To strive to safeguard the integrity of creation. And sustain and renew the life of the earth. You can actually maybe remember it easier if you do this. Tell, teach, tend, transform, and treasure. Those are the five marks of mission. When this was being debated and discussed, what did we do? We got into an argument about it. Because what does it mean? What does it mean to proclaim the good news of the kingdom? For some people, it means saying simply that, that God loves you and God is love. But other people would say, ah, but hang on a minute. What about justice? What about judgment? What about heaven and hell? You know, what, what, what's the good news if, if you're not saved from something? Of course, the problem is, if, if all you ever get is hellfire and damnation, it's not very encouraging either. You know, so, so you've got to give the whole picture. The good news is God is love. The good news is also that, that there's judgment coming, but the way to get out of that is because Jesus died on the cross to save us because he loves us. And because of that, we can be forgiven. That's the good news. It's more than just one thing, and it's more even than that. What are we to teach new believers? How do we look after the earth. Well, people have loads of different ideas about that. That's not my main worry about it, though. See, my problem with it is it only works if congregations actually do it. Do you know? It only works. It, 
you know, I do my bit. But if you and the people sitting in pews all over Scotland don't do their bit, we're no better off. We might have all the jargon and all the lingo and all that, but, but if we're not actually putting it into practice, it's of no value whatsoever. And what you discover in most congregations is that there's a tiny little group of people who are doing the overwhelming majority of the work. And what we're going to find in these next years as we merge congregations and put things together is that we're going to ask more and more and more of that tiny group. And it's not sustainable. They're already knackered. They're already exhausted. So it's all very well having a plan. But actually, unless we together do it, it also is doomed to failure. So when a preacher stands up and starts to talk about evangelism, I wonder what your picture is in your head. Is it the wee guy with the sandwich boards on Princess Street or Buchanan Street? You know, the turn or burn on the back, that kind of thing. Or is it Billy Graham at the other end of things? Do you know? I think, oh, well, I don't want to be the guy with the sandwich board, and I'm no Billy Graham, so actually... I don't really know. And what we discover is that when we begin to talk about evangelism, people begin to go, well, that's for somebody else. (laughs) I'm not really very good at that. That's not really my thing. I'll let other people do that. And I understand that. I really do. While we were doing the Path of Renewal project, I found um, a book and an idea that I found particularly helpful. And it was uh, a thing called The Vine Project because Jesus says we are uh, in the vine and if we stick in the vine as branches we will grow fruit we will produce fruit and so there's this thing called the vine project and it has this diagram and there are four E's you'll see them along the top I like to keep things with a letter that I can kind of get my head right, right? First thing. so engage, evangelize, establish and equip now when I was doing this I hadn't seen this diagram and they kept talking about Moving people to the right. We're going to, we just want to move people to the right. And I'm thinking, if I go back to Scotland and say, we're trying to move people to the right, that's a totally different kettle of fish. <laughs> I don't know that I can do that. And then I oh, I get what you mean. We're moving people just a step, a step at a time. So you see there's the, there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And I'm not entirely sure I would use that terminology, but, but you get the point. And in, in the middle is the cross. So the idea is that you're bringing people to the cross And then from the cross, you're moving them to the right away into maturity in Christ, which is the point of the arrow. And then you see underneath, there are people um, who are far away from God. They want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with the church. They don't know anything about anything, and they're far away. And so engaging with those people is really important. But you don't just go in and batter them with the Bible, We have to engage. We have to find ways of of contacting and engaging them. So you get far away and then you've you've got contacts with people. Then you want to talk to people. Have a conversation. Now, if you are having people over for dinner, 
And somebody said to you, who was number one on the 25th of December 1974? And you didn't know. You might go, I don't know. That seems reasonable. How did you make your tiramisu? I don't know. I bought it at the shop. I don't We have no problem saying I don't know in that kind of context. But when we say to somebody, would you will you talk to your friends or your family or your, your work colleagues about Jesus? You go, oh no, because they might ask me something I don't know. And what would I do then? Well, you would just go, I don't know. You wouldn't not invite people for dinner in case they asked you a question you didn't know the answer to. That would be ridiculous. And yet we have this big thing. Well, but they'll ask me stuff and I don't know the answers. I don't know everything. None of us know everything. I don't know. You could practice that in the mirror if you're stuck. I don't know. I don't know. It's quite straightforward. Talking. But at some point, you have to share the gospel. At some point, we have to tell people why we're doing what we're doing. And you have to say, this is the Jesus that we believe in. And then once people come to faith, they need to be established in faith. Need to be taught, need to learn what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And then they need to be equipped to go and make disciples. It's about you know, disciples who make disciples. Now, not all of us are good at all of that. And, and what we need to realize is we're not expecting you to go from somebody who is far away and take that person to maturity in Jesus. You might be absolutely brilliant at the engagement and the evangelism, but just pretty duff at, at, at the maturing people, at equipping people. So do what you're good at. And it's small steps. You don't need to do the whole thing. You need to take, and I need to take, a person one little step to the right. Closer to the cross or closer to maturity in Jesus. One little step. And if if we took a person one little step every day for, well, however long it takes, until they get to the point of faith, that's what it's about. It's not about being big and dramatic. Sometimes it happens. Paul went from somebody who was persecuting Christians, that's pretty far away, to faith in Christ. But he didn't go immediately to maturity. He had all this knowledge from being a Pharisee, but he had to work out what it meant. He had to go through that process of establishing and equipping. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. One step to the right. And that's all we're asked to do. And when we get into to new Christians, I'm glad it puts in their growth and struggles. Because it's not easy and it's not straightforward. We all struggle. We all have questions. We all have doubts. We all have things that, that we have to ask and, and think about and, and struggle with. I think a lot of people sitting in churches in the West would have been uncomfortable in the early church. 
Because God doesn't have a watch. I suspect God pretty much messed up their order of service and did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it in the way that he said was right. See, you can't program in signs and wonders. You can't program in miracles. If you're listening to God and allowing him to speak and to work through you, then you're agreeing to do things in his way and in his time. That happens as people pray. We're told these new Christians devoted themselves to prayer. And the more time that we spend with God, the deeper our relationship becomes. And there were leaders in that group who had spent three years with Jesus. They were, they'd been intimate with him. They'd watched him heal the sick. They'd watched him cast out demons. They'd watched him raise the dead. In fact, they'd already experienced it for themselves. In Matthew chapter 10, at verse 5, it says this. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. I don't know about you, but if today the message was heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, what would we do with that? Because that is the message. That was the message then, and that's still the message. Here are these people who have been out and they've seen it and they've done it. And now that they are full of Holy Spirit, it's only natural that they are going to do the very things that Jesus taught them to do. Why would they do anything else? He set the example and they are living it out. Guess what? We are meant to live it out too. Prayer was a priority in the early church. Many congregations in Scotland no longer have a prayer meeting. But if we're not praying together, then it's kind of open to abuse. If we're not praying together, we're not hearing from God. And if we're not hearing from God, then how do we expect to grow? And I'm reading these leaders taught people. And they went, all right, that's what I need to do. Okay. The leaders performed signs and wonders. So people noticed both the miraculous and the personal transformation that was happening in individuals. And it drew them in. That interest translated to attending and then to faith. And it says God added daily to their number, those who are being saved. I think we missed out so much that God would have us do because of our tradition of having to do things decently and in order. Because what we've done is stifle the work of Holy Spirit. Like a broken record, I want to remind you of the importance of prayer and that on Sunday nights between 7 and 8, 
there is time to pray together. If you need the link for that, it's pastoral at bartlaviewforth.org.uk. And we'll be there at seven o'clock this evening. We want to give thanks for answered prayer. But we also need to pray that God will begin to do miracles among us. That he'll raise our levels of expectation. We want to do it right. We want to do it properly according to God's plans and purposes. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. It's all about the body of Christ and working together. And 13 is in the middle because we do it with love. It's all about love as we share. There were people in Corinth and they spoke in tongues and they, were, they, they thought they were it. And they were making themselves out to be really important, more important than anybody else because they could speak in tongues. And Paul saying, no, stop it. That's not the way it is. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, follow in the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. It does not say, if you happen to be theologically qualified, if you happen to be earning over 40,000 a year, if you happen to, if you have, no, this is all of God's people eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because these gifts are given by God to build up the body of believers and to witness his power to the world. It's not an add-on. It's not something that we just say, oh, well, I don't, I'm not really doing that. I don't want that. God says, I have given you these things for that purpose. The more we listen to God, the more we hear him speak, the more we'll be able to speak to people the message that he has for them and the more people will be drawn to God for these people that we read about today their worship and lifestyle attracted people to Jesus I suppose that's the challenge for us does ours in our history in Scotland certainly in our lifetime we've mainly experienced decline in church attendance it's become the norm to see churches closing as numbers of people disappear, and I think it's only going to get worse over these next few years. It's normal to have our order and everything just right. To the point where, I mean, the number of times I've stood with elders before a communion service, and they're in total panic, they're meltdown, just in case they get it wrong. I mean, it's a plate of bread. I did once say, one of those kind of off-the-cuff comments that I sometimes make, what's the worst that could happen? You could spill the tray of wine. Well, that was not a helpful comment at the time. <laughs> I realized afterwards. But what's the worst that can happen? You spill the tray of wine. You get a cloth and you wipe it up and you get more wine. Do you know? But people get so uptight about, about right and wrong and getting it right and on and, and they get so worried about stuff. And it's just silly when that's what concerns us. Actually, more important than that is, hasn't it worked for the last 50 years? If it had worked, we wouldn't be where we are now. But there is hope. This is Jesus' church. He has plans and purposes. Plans and purposes that might take into account presbytery, or might not. Plans and purposes that are for our good, 
and for the good of the people we are called to serve and to witness to. I think we need both of those things that we've talked about today. I think we need to relearn how to engage, evangelize, establish, and equip. And we need to have vibrant, passionate, spirit-filled worship that draws people in, where we see lives being transformed, where our lives are being transformed by the power and the glory of God where we can speak honestly and openly about his grace and how it is changing us day by day. We need both of those because we want to point people to Jesus. And over this next while, we're going to work on them together. Amen.